Uh, we're going to start the, the communion portion of our uh, worship this morning. Uh, and so I've got communion for one person. Sam's got his elements uh, uh, in the booth with him too. Let me just read a, a real quick uh, passage of scripture and then I'll uh, offer a few thoughts. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, uh, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning's scripture passage is about being poor in spirit, and there's a uh, a portion where I'm going to talk about being a beggar. And what do beggars get? What do beggars live on? They live on crumbs and morsels. Uh, they live on very small portions, meager, meager meals, meager portions. And I, I've, I've pointed this out in communion before, uh, how it's always sort of bothered me how meager the portions are. Actually, I'm going to uh, eat a, a little bit larger portion this morning. Um, it's not a big meal. You wouldn't call it a whole meal. You wouldn't call it uh, enough to satisfy you for the rest of the day, anything like that. It's meager and it's small. But what does it point to? Uh, The small drink that we take, the sip that we take, the crumb that we eat, it all points to the abundance that we will experience someday. And today I'm going to be talking about living in the kingdom of heaven here on earth as opposed to in the resurrection at the end of all things. And we get a foretaste. We get a foretaste here. We get a a morsel. We get a meager portion here. And yet, for many, for me, it's enough. It's enough. The Lord is sustaining me and supplying everything that I need here and now. But one of these days, I will experience an abundance of everything He has for me. Uh, This is my deposit. This is the crumb. And one of these days... We will have the feast with him together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for giving your body to be broken for us. And so I break and I break again. Eat with me. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And he took the cup, and this cup, small as it is, very small amount uh, of juice in here, and yet it points to something greater. And this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's drink together. And Lord, we take these crumbs, these morsels, these meager rations, knowing that you are the one that actually sustains us. We do not live by bread alone. We live by your word. Help us to follow your word. Feast on your word. Feast on you, Lord. And help us to look forward to the day when it's no longer meager, when it's no longer a morsel, when our cups really do run over. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. 
Last week, we started talking about the Beatitudes, uh, and I tried to, to set the picture of Jesus and his disciples sort of leaving the crowds, going up on the mountainside, and Jesus saying, you want to do ministry? You want to know about ministry? You want to know about the kingdom of God? You want to know what it takes to follow me? Let me tell you what it's like. Let me tell you who the real blessed people are. And this is what he said, starting in uh, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down with his disciples, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, and this is the verse we're going to emphasize today, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But I'll read the rest. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God. Have you ever begged? Have you ever begged for anything? Uh, as a missionary, uh, we had to raise support. Uh, and it was a very humbling uh, and sometimes humiliating thing. And there are actually missionaries who, who feel called of God, but going to churches and asking for financial support to go do the mission actually prevents some people from uh, ever making it to the field. Uh, and I always, when we have missionaries here or, or uh, when I know of a missionary who's going, I always want to sort of volunteer and say, hey, we're going to try to support you. We're going to do something. We, we believe in you. We back you. We're, we're on your side. We know what you need, and we are going to try to give it to you. Uh, so that doesn't have to be such a humiliating and, and humbling experience for them. Because, uh, and I'm biased, of course, I think missionaries do uh, the coolest, greatest, most exciting work in the world. Um, they shouldn't have to beg for it. They shouldn't have to beg for the support for it. Um, but it really wasn't begging. It really wasn't begging. It was really asking, I'm, I've got a job to do. God has called me to do something, to do an important thing. Are you on my side? But it was still a very humble, humbling thing. Uh, the last time I actually got on my knees to beg for something was for Susie's hand in marriage. And, and I only did that was because it was the custom. I was very confident of her answer. Um, but as time goes by, I really do realize uh, more and more um, that I should have been begging. I should have had taken a, on a much more humble demeanor um, because in my arrogance, I probably felt worthy. But as time goes by, I know how untrue that is. And that's a good pic uh, picture of a Pharisee uh, who, who repents. Uh, you think you're worthy of the Lord, and then later on you find out, no, actually, um, upon entering heaven, I realized just how unworthy uh, I was of all of this. Well, what have you ever begged for? Have you ever begged for anything? When was the last time you begged uh, for anything? Uh, did you beg for someone's hand in marriage? Uh, have you ever begged? Uh, maybe uh, as a teenager, you remember begging for permission to go to a, a certain concert or something, begging for a car, begging for the keys to the car uh, to borrow it for one night. Uh, have you ever begged for a 
a gift. Maybe you wanted a Red Ryder BB gun so bad that you were willing to get on your knees and beg for it. Have you ever begged for an opportunity, begged for somebody to just give you a chance or just give you a second chance uh, to do something? Have you ever begged for leniency? Have you ever begged for parole? Have you ever begged for a third chance? And how does it make you feel when you literally have to beg? Uh, it makes you feel like, um, like dirt. It makes you feel very humbled. It makes you feel very humiliated. And it makes you feel like I'm really at this other person's mercy. My future, everything about me is in this person's hands. Uh, they can make my life turn out okay, or they can make my life turn out terrible. What in the world? Am, uh, how, how can I trust this person to do the best thing for me? Uh, I'm at their mercy. It makes you feel like you're completely out of control of your destiny. And for a Westerner, for an American especially, that's a very hard thing to do because you are in control of your destiny. You can be anything you want. Aren't you told that from the time you're a kid? Uh, and then one time, and then sometime you're, you're, you're denied and you find out, no, I can't be anything I wanted to be. Uh, and then you beg and beg and beg for opportunities to do what you wanted to do, to get what you wanted to have. But it makes you feel absolutely powerless. Being a beggar tends to make somebody feel like a loser, like you have no power, like you have no control, like you have no resources. Uh, and it makes you feel bad. It makes you feel unconfident. Um, compare that with God. Compare that with God, who's the exact opposite kind of a being. He has no needs. He has no vulnerabilities. He is completely self-existent. I am that I am. I am what I am. I am. Whatever he is, he wants to be, he is. Every, he is everything. And anything that he needs, of course, he has no needs, but anything he needs, he simply speaks it into existence. How do you think he sees people like us who are in such a vulnerable state? How do you think he sees all the worthless little peons, all the plebeians uh, down at his feet groveling and begging? You might be surprised to know that he looks with great love and compassion on anyone who comes to him begging, anyone who knows that they are, in fact, the poor in spirit. Jesus, uh, uh, when Jesus began his teaching ministry, what he was really about, and what we talked about last week, was modifying worldviews, modifying worldviews. Uh, there were there were uh, there was every strata of society. Uh, you know, in, in his day, there was very little middle class, but there was the the super rich, and then there were uh, a couple of different classes of of poor people, and there was great judgment between the classes. Uh, and anybody who was in the lower classes, it was assumed that they displeased God. God was not pleased with them. God was not blessing them. They didn't have any kind of abundance, whereas the people in the very upper strata um, were very wealthy and obviously very blessed by God. They were obviously living lives that pleased God and does all kinds of worldview modifying. Uh, I feel like when he comes out of the crowds and he comes up on the mountains with his disciples, he knows the erroneous view that everybody has, including his disciples. And it's a teaching moment, teachable moment. Who are the ones who are really blessed? Who are the ones who are really blessed? Who are the ones that God loves? 
Who are the ones that he wants to reach out to, who, who, that he's pleased with? And Jesus starts this list. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All right. Hey, it looks like we locked up for a few minutes, folks. Um, and I'll tell you why I think that is. And I'll tell you why I'm going to rejoice. Facebook was not created for worship. YouTube was not created for worship. YouTube was mostly invented so that people could put funny videos of people uh, hurting themselves, right? I think we all know that most of the early YouTube videos were just people falling and hurting themselves pretty badly. Little did they know that they were going to be the main conduit for worship someday. And of course, Sunday morning, there is an incredible stream of data um, coming down the Facebook pipeline and the uh, the YouTube pipeline. So uh, the internet, I think, can hardly uh, keep up sometimes. So anyway, here we are, and I have no idea at what point I stopped, but so I'm just going to start again uh, at uh, at a certain point, okay? Jesus is about modifying the worldview. Who is really blessed? Who is uh, really blessed by God? And everybody always believed it was obviously the rich who had plenty of everything and plenty of power. They are the ones who are obviously blessed by God, whereas the poor are obviously not blessed by God. Uh, and Jesus comes up on the mountain with his disciples and says, I need to modify some part of your worldview. You happen to think that the rich and the powerful are the ones who are really blessed by God, but that's not exactly true. Uh, so uh, let me start out with this very shocking and audacious teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I have the feeling the disciples were saying, how can that possibly be true? We have our measure, we have our litmus test for uh, who is blessed by God and who is not. Are you telling me that the test is flawed? That our measure is flawed? And Jesus says, yes, your measurement is flawed. Now, um, this is a translation of a translation, by the way, that we're reading this morning. Uh, Matthew himself uh, was there at Jesus' feet, and he heard all of this in uh, Aramaic. And then when he wrote it down in his gospel, he wrote it in Greek. And then we have it here in English. So it's been translated twice. Um, going back, translating it back, some a, a lot of uh, scholars who are fluent in Greek and Aramaic uh, will will try to translate it back, try to guess what it probably was in Aramaic before. And uh, Barclay, who is the the commenter I've been using for this, he he points out a couple of things. In Aramaic, there is no verb to be, and you might think that that's strange. How in the world can a language not have the verb to be? But there are actually a few of them out there. Uh, and even Chinese has a more limited use of the verb to be than English does. Uh, and so it might be, uh, this might be another way. We always translate it, blessed are the poor in spirit, but that are, that verb is not in there. And so what uh, Barclay, the way he would translate it is this, oh, the blessedness or oh, the joy of the poor, poor in spirit. It's not so much an explanation as an exclamation. He's not explaining the the, the poor in spirit are blessed. He's exclaiming, oh, the poor in spirit, oh, they're so blessed. Oh, they're so happy. Oh, they should, or they do, or they should have so much joy. And the disciples are sitting around saying, what? I've never met poor people who are extremely happy. Why would they be happy? They don't have enough, and they know that God's not uh, approving of them. Why in the world would they be so happy? 
Uh, but Jesus is turning things on its head, all right? He is modifying the worldview. I have a feeling that Jesus must have met some people recently who were poor in spirit. They may have been poor in material, but they were also poor in spirit. And he saw them, and he saw that they were ready for him. They were ready for his teaching. They were ready to believe. They were ready to follow. Uh, and it was such a blessing to him to see their eagerness to follow him because they knew their need for him. And I think any pastor, any missionary, any youth director, anybody who's in missionary knows a little bit of that feeling because every once in a while, you know, you've got uh, the whole youth group or you've got the whole church or you've got the whole city or village or whatever that you're trying to minister to. And everybody's just sort of uh, maybe maybe sort of uh, interested, but every once in a while, there's an, an individual who comes, and they are absolutely, completely enraptured with who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian. And those people give you an incredible amount of joy when you see them, and you just want to spend all your time with them, talking to them, answering every question that they've got, because you see in them that they are ready to follow Jesus. I have a feeling Jesus also met some other people who thought that they were good. I've got everything I need. Thanks a lot, Jesus. I appreciate your teaching. You've got some neat ideas, but actually, obviously, I'm already quite blessed by God, so I think I'm good. I think when he saw those people, he said, Oh, oh, I'm so, so sorry. Oh, I'm so, I'm terrified for your future because you think you've got everything that God's got for you. You think that you're good enough. You think that you're rich uh, in spirit, and that's not what it takes. That's not, that's not where the blessing lies. Oh, I'm terrified for you. Oh, you break my heart. Now, Barclay also points out that there are a couple of words, there are a couple of words uh, that um, mean poor in Greek, okay? And now this is Greek, remember, uh, uh, not Aramaic, but when, when Matthew heard Jesus talk about the poor in spirit, and when he was writing it down in Greek, he had a couple of choices of words that he was going to use to translate that. Uh, and, and there was one word that he could have used that what it really means to me, it's not so much poor, but it's the people who live paycheck to paycheck. It's the people who live by the sweat of their brow. It's the people who live by the calluses of their hands. It's the people who are certainly not, uh, they're not homeless, and uh, but they're certainly not rich, and they're certainly not middle class either. They are just scratching an existence out, but they're doing their best, and they're 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 somewhat getting it done. They're the working class. They're the blue collar. They're they're hanging on, but they're not like this other class of people. And this other class of people, this other word for poor, uh, it is the truly destitute, the truly poverty stricken, and we can prove it because the root word for this meaning of poor means kneel. I'm on my knees begging. I'm on my knees on the side of the road. I cannot work. The sweat of my brow hasn't, isn't doing it for me. I'm going to starve to death except if, unless a generous passerby comes and gives me that crumb or that morsel that will sustain me for today. And that's the word that Matthew used. Those people, blessed are those poor in spirit. Not the people that are, that are doing the best that they can with the sweat of their brow and the calluses on their hands. No, 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 no. Blessed are the beggars. Blessed are the beggars in spirit. They're the ones that are going to see, um, that are going to see the kingdom of heaven. It reminds me of a parable 
that Jesus told. This is in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. And uh, many of you will recognize it uh, if, if, if you've been reading the Bible all your life, the publican and the, and, and the Pharisee. Uh, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, okay? And that is the preface that, uh, that Luke gave for the setting, all right? And, and that's exactly what Jesus, I, I think, must have seen right before he gives that, that first beatitude to those who were confident of their own righteousness. They're not poor in spirit. They're rich in spirit in their own eyes. And Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. The great unwashed, if you will, if I can insert that there. They're robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I tithe. I give a tenth of all I get. I give a tithe. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't even approach the temple so much. He was behind the Pharisee back over here. The, the Pharisee's at the top step where he should be, and the tax collector's at the bottom step where he knows he ought to be. He would not even look up to heaven. He wouldn't raise his eyes to the, temp to the temple. The Pharisee is looking at the temple like this, and the, the, the tax collector looks down because he's not even worthy to look there. And what did he do? He beat his breast. He was punishing himself because he knew of his sins. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's what he prayed. Because all he knew, he knew that he had nothing to bargain with God for. Uh, he couldn't get, he wasn't, his money, whatever money he could give, that's not going to win him anything with God. Prayers said or prayers, scriptures memorized, that's not going to get him anywhere with God. Because he knows that he's betrayed Israel. And that's what a, the, the essence of a tax collector, when you read that in the, in the Gospels, they, have, they are people who have, for money, have betrayed Israel. He knows he's a sinner. By the way, Matthew was a tax collector. I tell you that this man, this is Jesus, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, didn't say the Pharisee, the other one, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, Jesus is looking for people who are humble enough to know that their lives need to be transformed. Their lives need to be transformed. And if you will embrace your identity as the beggar, the beggar before God, the truly destitute and poor in spirit, the, some, the somebody who has nothing to offer God for righteousness, then what will you get? What does Jesus say? What do those people get? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when you think of heaven, what do you think of? It's a place of great blessing and abundance, no poverty, no physical needs, no threat of death or disease. It's the ultimate sanctuary. It's also a place of great joy and honor and dignity. There's no sadness. There's no shame. There's no oppression there either. There's a king, 
But he's a benevolent king, a kind king. He's not an evil king like they've only ever experienced in their whole lives. The interesting thing to me about Jesus teaching always about the kingdom of heaven is that he always talks about it as here and now and there and then. He talks about it sometimes as if we're in it. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's happening right here. It's all around you. Can't you see it? This is what it's like. And then other times he'll talk about the end of time, the end of days, as if that's when the kingdom of heaven is. And that it, 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 uh, it's a common question when you do Bible study is, what does Jesus mean by the kingdom of heaven? Uh, and so it, I think what Jesus sees, he sees in a very different reality than all the rest of us. We think in the here and now and the there and then, but he sees all of these things as sort of overlapping. All of these things, the, the kingdom of heaven is not just there and then, it is also here and now. Everything sort of overlaps. And it's not that everything that's, that is of the kingdom of heaven is available to us here and now, but there's actually a way, I think, that Jesus, uh, and I think in Jesus' thinking it's pretty clear that he says there is a foretaste. There was an old hymn, Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We get the foretaste right here and now. You don't get all the benefits of the resurrection and heaven and eternal life right now, but you do get some of them. Uh, so let me say this, just uh, a, perfectly, a perfectly healthy body, I cannot promise that to you now. No pain or tears, I can't promise that to you now. No death, I can't promise that to you now. Those are aspects of heaven and the kingdom of heaven that are for the there and then. They're not for the here and now. Um, heaven is not just a place where the streets are made of gold. Heaven is a place where there is comfort and a true relationship of, with God. But that is available for you right now, a true relationship uh, with God. Streets of gold, I cannot give that to you now, but a relationship with God that's better than streets of gold, I can offer that to you now, or Jesus offers that to you now. Heaven is a place where there are no guilty consciences, uh, where your conscience is completely cleansed. And guess what? That's not just available to you then and there. That's available to you now. Heaven is a place where everyone has the power to, to sort of minister like Christ did, or at least 90% or whatever. Uh, but you have a lot of, of, of power to minister like Christ did, to help people, to heal people, uh, to lift people out of the miry clay. And guess what? At least some of that is available to you right now. Heaven is a place where the joy of worship never ends, and it goes with you all day long because you know you never leave the presence of God. And guess what? That's available to you right now too. God himself, in the form of the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, has taken up residence in your heart. So much of what is the kingdom of heaven, so much of the benefit of the kingdom of heaven, so much of what God offers to us is not just for the there and then, it's for the here and now as well. How do you get it? Let me ask you a question. Do you want to go to heaven? There's a whole, there's, it's, a, it's a whole joke, with, especially with younger people and teenagers. Uh, I want to go to heaven, I just don't want to go right now. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to go right now? It's not easy to be a teenager. I know a lot of teenagers who aren't very happy. They love to be in heaven. They love to be in a place of absolute, ultimate joy. Why wouldn't you want to go right now? Uh, 
And I, I, I get the I get the, I get their meaning, and I get what they, what they mean, or what, what they're thinking, because I used to think that way too. But I'm telling you, the joy of heaven is where you want to be all the time. How much do you want to go to heaven? Or at least, let me rephrase it: Do you want to enjoy heavenly benefits now? Okay, now that maybe, uh, maybe instead of dying and going to heaven, what if I said heavenly benefits are actually available to you? Right now. And Jesus knows that the true consummation of heaven and earth won't happen until the end of all things. But he is offering you a foretaste of heavenly joy in your life right now. How much do you want it? Do you want heavenly love in your life right now? Do you want heavenly peace in your life right now? Do you want heavenly joy in your heart right now? Do you want heavenly purity in your heart and mind right now? You can have it, or at least a foretaste of it, a good, strong foretaste of it right now. A heavenly resurrected body, sorry, I can't do that for you yet, but peace amidst aging and affliction and decline in your health, that actually I think is uh, available to you. I don't think that will be withheld from you right now. Do you want a completely sinless heart and mind? I'm not sure if I can offer that in a in a hundred percent, but I can certainly offer you uh, recovery, freedom, redemption, from the past. And speaking of the past, do you want freedom from the scars of past relationships? How about filling that void with a new relationship in Christ? But how much do you want it? Will you lay down your pride and beg for it? Perfect sobriety, clear thinking, that's part of the kingdom of heaven. Will you beg for it? Freedom from um, illicit promiscuity and pornography and everything that goes along with that, the stuff that's destroying your soul that you know is making you an empty shell of a person, that's available to you. Will you beg for it? How about uh, a heart of worship, a heart of generosity, being able to forgive other people? There are so many things about yourself and about your personality which might actually be causing you to live in an actual hell on earth, but you don't have to kingdom of heaven is available if you're ready to beg for it. Are you unable to forgive your enemies? Are you unable to stay sober? Are you unable to let go of a grudge? Are you unable to be faithful to your spouse? Are you unable to lay down your life's goals and dreams in order to embrace God's plan for your life? If you're unable to do those things, please admit your poverty of willpower and beg God for forgiveness and help. You'll get it. But remember, beggars don't just beg one day. They beg every day. They go out to the same street corner every day. And uh, there are different kinds of beggars. I've been in a lot of third world countries, and there are a lot of different kinds of beggars. There are beggars who try to perform to try to, to, to earn something from you. And there are beggars who just sit there with their, their head down. And there are beggars who grab hold of you and won't let go until you give them something. I think that's the kind of beggar you should be. I think you should come up to God and aggressively panhandle. There are laws against aggressive panhandling in a lot of cities in, in the United States. Folks, become an aggressive panhandler. You want a picture of that? Remember, uh, there's a scene in Genesis where Jacob is wrestling with the angel, and the angel is the Lord. He's wrestling with him. They wrestle all night long, and uh, Jacob gets his hip pulled out of socket, and uh, so he gets his corporal punishment or whatever, and the angel is about to leave, but Jacob holds on to him, 
says, uh-uh, 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 just like a toddler throwing a tantrum in a toy store, I'm not leaving without something. Jacob holds on to God and says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. The aggressive panhandler that he was got his name changed to Israel. Israel, he struggles with God. Folks, struggle with God. Become the that aggressive beggar who latches onto God and says, no, I am not letting go of you until I am free from these things, until I've recovered from these things, until I get all that joy and hope and peace and love in my life. I'm begging for it. In fact, I'm aggressively begging for it. Become that kind of beggar and never, ever, ever make it your goal to come out of it. Don't come out to the spiritual middle class. That's what a Pharisee is. Accept your identity as a beggar until you die. And you'll get from God all the benefits of the kingdom of heaven. And as a church, let me just remind you, our church and, and, and what we, uh, sort of the attitude that we have uh, towards people in the community, this is what I want us to do. I want us to throw away the facade that we are good, upstanding, self-sufficient people. Let's not do that. That's what a Pharisee is. Let's be who we really are, a group of spiritual beggars who know where to get the bread. Uh, that, that idea, that illustration is not original with me, but what we are, all we are, is beggars who know where to tell the other beggars to get something. Um, here we are, we have laid aside our self-righteousness and embraced our spiritual poverty and followed Jesus. And anytime we somebody see somebody else who is absolutely poor in spirit, we say, hey, 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 by the way, I know where to get the good stuff. I know where the man is who has the bread of life. He's over there. Yesterday, he fed 5,000 people with it. Today, he's got more for you. Go to him. He will fill your stomach, your heart, your soul, your mind. He will satisfy everything you've got. But you got to go to him every single day. We, the beggars of Faith Christian Church, need to reach out to all the beggars in Gardner and uh, the cities beyond and tell them, hey, we know where to find it. His name is Jesus. If you'll embrace your, uh, your identity as a beggar, and that's all we are. We are beggars kneeling before a generous God. Then guess what? The kingdom of heaven is where we'll end up. The hell on earth that we've created for ourselves will become a thing of the past because he will invite us into a better way of living. And that's true both for the here and now and for the there and then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your kindness to beggars. Help us to embrace that identity for ourselves Lord, every time we know we need spiritual growth, we need something from you, and that is, of course, every day. Help us to get on our knees, take that, that posture of a beggar, that posture of the poverty, posture of poverty, and Lord, help us to not be too proud to beg you for all the help that we need because you're the only one that gives the good help, the good stuff, the, the bread of life, the soul-satisfying stuff. And help us, Lord, as we go throughout our weeks to recognize the souls out there that are starving to death and help us to point them to you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.